0: An unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma is rarely met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept I vow to taste
1: the truth of the Tatagata's words. Well, good morning, everybody. So,
0: this morning we've got uh, six of us here at Wilton, and it looks like five joining us on Zoom. So on Zoom, we have uh, Jeff and Cynthia and Mark and Devin and Matt, and here joining me are, uh, are Cindy and Scott and Julie and Boris and Keith. So thanks for your interest in washing bowls. Uh, one of those Zen teachings that seems to really strike a chord with people. So this was a koan that we definitely needed to, uh, to make sure got included in this series of talks that I've uh, got us uh, working with. Also sometimes referred to in our practice is ordinary Zen, everyday Zen. Uh, the activities of everyday life as opposed to the more ritualized forms of practice. So it's kind of also referred to as taking the practice off our cushions into the everyday activities of our lives, which we learn early on in the practice that that's really the heart of Zen. The ritualized forms of practice are to help to open us up to be able to to approach our everyday activities with that same mind. So that practice mind and ordinary mind become one mind and become one with all things. That's what this practice of oneness ultimately is all about, is that we stop making distinctions between formal practice and everyday practice. It's just practice. So this particular koan is one of the uh, vehicles for giving expression to that. putting into words, although not very many words, because it's typical for the vast majority of koans, it's fairly succinct. So I'll begin just by reading the main case of the koan. And this is case number seven from the Mumon Khan. Once a monk made a request of Joshu. And We've met Joshu. He shows up in quite a few koans. Uh, Actually, we started with Joshu and the uh, koan Mu. So once a monk made a request of Joshu, I have just entered the monastery, he said please give me instructions, master. Pretty sincere young monk. Just just arrived and he's already asking for instructions from, from the teacher. Joshu said, have you had your breakfast? Yes, I have, replied the monk. Then said Joshu, wash your bowls. And the monk had an insight. That's
1: The call. So we we hear
0: this, and if we've had any any experience with the practice and everybody joining us today has, uh, you know, it resonates with us. We we understand this practice deeply enough to uh, kind of understand
1: the core meaning behind this. But this is about,
0: because it's about practice. It's about being able to take that understanding and actually apply it in our lives and to keep coming back to it again and again and again without end, that everything we do is practice. Whether it's having a meal, cleaning up after that meal, and all the other mundane affairs of everyday life.
1: They're all Dharma gates, they're all practice. And when
0: it becomes such in our lives, we suddenly have this experience of the richness of life. This is the gift that we receive from our practice. The gift, as the Lotus Sutra parable puts it, of finding that jewel that's been put inside our garment that was hidden to us. That jewel that was part of our our birth, our Buddha nature. It's only through our
1: practice that we awaken to that fact and our practice can only occur right
0: here at this time in this place.
1: The activity we're engaged in is not the vital thing. The vital thing is
0: to fully be present and engaged in that,
1: whatever it might be, which certainly includes washing the bowls. So
0: Shibayama, whose collection of the Khan koans I've been using uh, throughout these talks as my primary resource, he begins his commentary by stating that, uh, that in this koan, Joshu directly presents the essence of Zen in our daily life. And he also makes the observation that, uh, that this monk who just entered the monastery uh, likely was not a newcomer to the practice seems to have had some Zen training and uh, uh, kind of the, the giveaway to that was the fact that he, he did, the koan concludes with the uh, uh, statement that the monk had some insight just from this short exchange, <clears throat> which they had just been uh, somebody walking in off
1: the street wouldn't have been very likely at all. So he already had some notion of this. But I think even more important is is the fact that that uh,
0: that he he arrives asking the master for instruction as as a new person
1: and you would think that maybe maybe implicit
0: in that was a request for you know what are what are the rules of this
1: temple and what are the forms what are the rituals So again, it's kind of like
0: the last koan, we looked at the holding up of the flower. The monks come to this uh, expected talk to be given by the Buddha with their expectations. And they're presented with something very different from that. Instead of hearing a talk, they see the Buddha holding up the flower. It's like, what's this? So here this monk comes in, seeking instruction,
1: how do you practice here at this temple? And the response he gets is talking about
0: having breakfast, washing your bowls. So an important part of most Zen awakenings insights is to kind of Pull you up from from where your
1: mind is currently focused, and moving it to a different place, a place you weren't expecting. And for a lot of practitioners, because they weren't expecting it. You might miss the whole thing. Just like all the monks except
0: for Maha Kasyapa, when Buddha held the flower. This monk could have missed the, instru- the deep in- instruction that was being imparted to him. He could have just thought, you yeah, know, what a- the abbot is kind of like the innkeeper. What a What a great host. Wants to make sure I've been fed. If you've had breakfast. Now it's gone from coming to uh, to engage in serious Zen practice to checking into the B&B.
1: Kind of question you would expect uh, your host there to ask.
0: But, so this monk... At least his understanding coming in was deep enough to be able to receive that instruction as Zen teaching,
1: hence the the description that he had some insight. That having breakfast washing your bowls is
0: no different than whatever the rules and and
1: rituals of our particular temple might be. Don't just come here
0: looking for the right way to do things,
1: to fit in with our forms of practice. That'll come, but
0: recognize that everything you do here is practice. And there's no separation between the forms and rituals and your care for yourself that takes place every day.
1: The bathing, arranging your robes, Taking care of your bedding. All the little minutia of
0: our lives, whether we're lay practitioners
1: at home or monks in in a temple, in a monastery. So,
0: Shibayama next comes to this point of of
1: uh, of the teaching that apart from this person,
0: each of us, the I myself here now, which is exemplified here by. Having a meal, taking care of the bowls. Outside of that,
1: what truth can there be? This is what's right in front of us. How can you go chasing after truth some other place rather than what's right here? So in Zen, of course, it's this direct seeing, and direct seeing
0: isn't chasing after an idea. It's direct seeing with what's right here now and taking care of it. Taking care of your practice
1: in all its myriad forms of manifestation. And part of our practice, then, is when we turn away, as we inevitably
0: do, from what's right in front of us. Our minds are always in in monkey mind mode. This isn't just about our meditation practice. It's about our life.
1: We're constantly jumping around, looking outside.
0: Then the question to present to ourselves is what are we looking for? Turning our eyes away from ourselves
1: right at this moment in this place. What are we chasing after? So for Joshua to live Zen
0: was not to lead
1: some make-believe zen-like life. Whatever that life
0: might be, whatever your idea of a zen-like life is, it's wrong. (laughs) You missed it. It's whatever your life is. That's where you have to wake up and practice. We can so easily get drawn in to a stylized
1: version of what Zen life is. It's the easiest thing in the world. Joshu's teaching was to live an
0: ordinary life just as it is. That's a Zen-like life, nothing
1: special. Just this, just this is it. So, a uh, maybe the best known corollary teaching to this,
0: and in terms of chronology, it's a it's not too far off from the lifetime of Joshu, uh, Laman Pong. And Layman Pong was a uh, student principally of sekito who we know pretty well from two of his poems, Sandokan, Merging of Difference and Unity, and uh, Soanka, Song of the Grass Hot. So this is the teacher that Layman Pong principally worked with. Although he had occasion to also uh, pay some visits with, uh, with Matsu who was Joshu's uh, Dharma grandfather, I guess it would have been. So in, in, uh, his, his very famous in Zen circles and even beyond Zen circles, his famous uh, dialogue with uh, Sikito. <clears throat> One day sequito said to the layman, so his, uh, his teacher initiates this dialogue. It can work both ways. Sometimes the student initiates it, sometimes the teacher does. Sikito says to, to layman Pong, since seeing me, what have your daily activities been? So you can see right off, we're talking about you know, just What are your normal activities? And as, as his name, that we uh, typically refer to him as, indicates layman, pong. You know, his activities would be like our activities if we had been around in Eighth century China at least.
1: <laughs>
0: Our activities are a little different. Now. Uh-huh. But but the, the the essence of it hasn't changed. So Layman Pong's initial response is: uh, when you ask me about my daily activities, I can't open my mouth. See? He knows the Zen game <laughs> It's so profound I can't begin to describe it. And, uh, and Sakito wants to draw him out a little more than that that's not going to cut it. <laughs> so he says just because I I knew I know you are thus I now ask you, said Sakito, whereupon? the layman offered this verse. My daily activities are not unusual. I'm just naturally in harmony with them, grasping nothing, discarding nothing. In every place, there's no hindrance, no conflict. Who assigns the ranks of vermilion and purple? The hills and mountains, last speck of dust is extinguished. My, super, my supernatural power and marvelous activity, drawing water and carrying firewood. So this is one of the most beautiful descriptions of Zen practice offered by a lay person <laughs> with a normal life. So a great exemplar for all of us lay practitioners. Very supernatural powers.
1: A marvelous activity constantly. Miracles constantly in progress. I mean, there are spiritual folks who
0: are pointing to uh, trying to create special
1: understandings. And then there are folks who are trying to teach individuals that they're all around you nothing to create. It's nothing
0: to go, oh, what amazing synchronicity is,
1: magical. It's always happening. (laughs) It's just we're not awake to it. And it's nothing special. because it's always present if we simply choose to practice. And then Hakuin, who's also included in our chant book, uh, Zazen Song, the Song of Zazen,
0: He says, if you want to get the real significance of then wash your bowls, first ask yourself how how you can recite the nambutsu without opening your mouth. The nambutsu is kind of the heart of the practice of of the Pure Land tradition. And Hakuin grew up in that tradition. So he... He was very familiar with it and would reference it in some of his teachings. So Nembutsu is is taking refuge
1: in Amida Buddha, calling on Amida Buddha, with Amida being this embodiment of great unconditional love. So what Hakuin's pointing to here is, is
0: not to see the Nambutsu in the way it's all too often taken as pointing to a, a particular
1: individual. Think of Nembutsu as Shunyata. Which, so now, How can you
0: recite the Nembutsu without opening your mouth? Nembutsu as this embodiment of great unconditional love, but it's not some separate individual. And separate is the key term here. It's not apart from us. And that's why Shunyata for our tradition is maybe
1: a better way of pointing to what's, what's being expressed here, I think. How can you recite that without opening your mouth, without relying on words, scriptures? In other words, by for doing things like washing your bowls, he's also chanting Nembutsu. It's seeing this vast embodiment of great unconditional love that we're
0: always receiving. And when we awaken to our receiving of it, it becomes almost automatic that we're returning it in the way we care for things. Now you have it, preserve it well, the opening of Hokio Zama that
1: we chanted this morning. Preserve it well. Take good care of it. Now you have it. It's a beautiful gift. Take care of it. Take care of your bowl. So Shibayama goes on to
0: to describe this as nothing but asking you to live with no mind, dropping off body and mind, no self, no separation. So that all of our activities are just this, this, in harmony, as layman Pung expressed it. He's just in harmony with every, everything he's engaged with. And that harmony, that naturally arising harmony comes from this place of no mind, of no separation. We're just harmoniously
1: engaged
0: in it with
1: no sense of subject, object, self, other. And Shibayama also kind of in a
0: speculative fashion kind of kind of uh, takes a look at what kind of insight this questioning monk may have had. That his spiritual eye was opened to the fact that it is as it is. Just as he is, he as he is, is it. And it cannot be outside himself. This harmonious relationship with one's life and all the things that our life encompasses and is encompassed by. This is the arrow points meeting head on. Again,
1: we're referencing back to Zama. And that's a way of experiencing no
0: mind, no self. Arrow points meet head on. You meet head on with with all the entities that you have seen
1: as being external, separate. When they come together head on in this merging And then with this kind of an awakening, there's the realization that
0: you've always been it, the truth. Just
1: this is it. In all your activities, that's always been the case. So Shibayama introduces uh, uh,
0: some other uh, Zen masters uh, words on this. Uh, The first one being Shido Bunan, who has a short poem. Do not let the word Tao delude you. Realize it is nothing else than what you do morning and night. Let the word Tao delude you because these are words like this that hook us and pull us right in. And uh, main character here in this koan, from his uh collected sayings, the recorded sayings of Zen Master Joshu. One of my favorite teachings of his that that gets to this point in a slightly different way. It's really, it's a real charmer (laughs) with uh, pretty humorous. A monk asked him, what is the one word? Could have answered Tao, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then he would have had him hooked with it. The master coughed. The monk said, That's it, isn't it? (laughs) And Joshua said, I can't even cough. (laughs) You can't dangle anything out
1: there without it just being That's it, isn't it?
0: Now or anything else, we use the words, but it's it's important to, to recognize.
1: Ultimately, it's like Joshua's cough. Don't get stuck with it. Don't get stuck with any of it. And then uh, Master Tendo Shogaku
0: highly admires Joshu, whose spirituality is so immaculate and exceptionally outstanding with no traces of superiority, yet enjoying deep and lucid Zen
1: spirituality in an ordinary daily life. And however much we may talk about revealing the fact is that Zen can never be hidden away. And here, there's another teaching of
0: Joshu that I want to reference, which also ties in nicely with uh, Dogen's Mountains and Water Sutra. The first story, uh, the monk was asking, what is the one word? And now the monk is asking, although not necessarily the same monk, we don't know. But the monk is asking, what is my teacher? And Joshu answers, clouds rising out of the mountains, streams entering the valley without a sound. The monk said, I didn't ask about them. Obviously, he's asking about Joshua. Why are you telling me that? The master said, though they are your teacher, you don't recognize them. Dolphins, mountains, and water sutra. Teachings of the non sentient, teachings that are ever present all around us. Part of our very ordinary life, even what we would term beneath
1: even the non-sentient is the inorganic. Although as our communal understanding,
0: I'll call it, seems to continue to advance. So I think uh, there's, there's a sense out there more broadly now that to speak in terms of organic and inorganic uh, because of the, the deep embeddedness between the two, it gets kind of <laughs> problematic.
1: Just like nonsentience. <clears throat> And I think
0: my my talk is coming uh, Friday, and the Sashin is is going to speak a little bit to this. But you know these notions
1: of sentience are starting to also get shaken around a bit. And we're opening up to. Uh,
0: to the truths of interdependence in ways that are helping us to transcend our usual dualistic ways of viewing things, which is rather encouraging, I find.
1: And One one point
0: that's also uh, made in in this commentary is that uh, in the entrance hall of a Japanese Zen temple, uh, you'll find a small wooden board on which is written, look under your feet.
1: (laughs) Powerful teaching there. Look under your feet. It's so close to us that we can't even see it, which is why we're looking in all these other places. Literally look under your feet.
0: Or as I've mentioned before, as long as we're on the subject of feet, you know, uh, when you're at the temple, just
1: arranging shoes, When you take them off, look there, everything. Just asking you to see clearly the very place where you stand at each and every moment, continuous practice which is to awaken to the richness, the Nembutsu that's always with us. But because it's so close, we don't see it. Whereas an old Zen master poetized
0: Do not think the moon appears when the clouds are
1: gone. All the time it has been there in the sky, so perfectly clear. It's always there. And before I... Out here today, I, I did
0: want to uh, uh, briefly discuss an alternative way of of uh, of looking at this co-on, which uh, which I think is is uh, kind of helpful, at least in terms of further expanding. Uh, the understanding that we can come away with. So, when when Joshu responds to the monk's request for instructions by saying, have you had your breakfast? This can be, and has been interpreted by some as being kind of like, have you had awakening? If you had the meal, <laughs> so the monks reply, "Yes, I have." Takes on a different meaning. So the monk saying, "Yeah, I've been practicing. I have had some realization." And and then Josher's response, "Wash your bowls," is signifying, "Well, don't get all caught up in that. You need to to, to step on." because practice is continuous. It's not about having had some understanding and then holding that forth as uh, la-di-da. <laughs> you should know this about me as I enter your temple. <laughs> yeah. then, then your next step of practice, Joshua's basically telling him is you need to clear that, that's that's very nice and well.
1: And, uh, but yeah, go back and, and sit, go back and, and practice. That's kind of the, the gig here is continuous practice. This is Dogen's practice. And we
0: kind of get that. Because uh, as another teacher puts it, drawing attention to one's accomplishments is usually nauseating. And I think that's kind of a, <laughs> a universal response.
1: You know? <laughs> so we get that. It's kind of a turn off. And part
0: of that might also stem from the fact that we're We're creating a hierarchy and we're on the wrong end of that hierarchy, (laughs) so there could be a defensive move involved there, but there's also even setting that aside, you know, there is this sense that if you really. uh, uh, Have this kind of uh, realization that this isn't something that you you possess. As, as Dogan would would put it, and I think put it so well, you know that any realization is for shared by all beings. That's why our dedication of merit, you know, whatever merit we do accomplish, is just given back. It's not an individual's merit. This is a key component of the Bodhisattva path. Whatever merit is generated, that's not to say we don't generate merit. It's just that we don't, that's not anything we can attach to. It's out there. And we freely put it out
1: there. We dedicate it to all beings. That can be seen as kind of a washing of the bowls, too, is dedicating. Merit. Because we can't do that if we have our bowl full and we're holding on to it. We empty it again and again and again. Recognizing,
0: just like the basic teaching of emptiness, is that emptiness is fullness. So because we're constantly cleaning our bowl, emptying our bowl, it's constantly being refilled. It's the nature of things. It's not that we, we, we've got the angle now. <laughs> so, so if my angle is to fill my bowl, then okay, I've, I've got the right strategy for that. It's just that this is the way things are. So it leads us to deeper realizations about these arrow points meeting head on.
1: Part of that entails everybody gets a a full bowl. So when that doesn't happen, to at least make some
0: reference to, to radical dharma,
1: when...
0: When everybody's bowl isn't full. Yeah, we, it
1: should cause us to to hit the pause button and look at that Because that's part of our practice.
0: So and then finally, in closing, I thought I'd close with this rather than opening with it is just to. Uh, to acknowledge this particular date, 9-11, and, and the long path that, uh, that we've traveled uh, towards healing.
1: And it's still underway. So it's been a, quite a journey for 20 years time now and just
0: acknowledge all the the lives that have been uh, lost
1: that have been so radically changed and just further pointers to the importance of our uh, engaged practice. And part of that. at
0: this time 20 years later we'll be with uh, with the refugees
1: that will be received from Afghanistan and in fact uh, this
0: coming Monday I'll be part of an interfaith service uh, that global Cleveland uh, is is doing, they do this annually, kind of a welcoming week for uh, recent immigrants. Of course, I recognize uh, uh, the only Afghan refugees that will be participating in that uh, will be those that that, uh, were able to to get out of the country before the collapse of the government. of which there are some that have come to Cleveland to, to settle, uh, but next year will likely be even more. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, they've made the decision to do that on Zoom. Originally, they were talking about doing it out, outdoors uh, at the library downtown, but they've needed to shift plans, so. But even on Zoom, I was able to participate in the last years. And it was a, a really powerful program with all the principal faith traditions represented in it. And actually, the teaching that I plan to share on Monday, I, I've shared here, uh, Ubuntu, the African teaching of of you know kind of we're all in this together dropping off sense of self that whatever we have we, we share so i'll be reading a, a story i've shared with you based
1: on that and uh yeah so and i guess one other comment
0: in terms of nine eleven. uh uh, back when we did have a Buddhist Peace Fellowship chapter here in Cleveland, uh, back in 2005, so this would have been the, the four-year anniversary of 9-11, we were able to put together a really beautiful interfaith uh, commemoration of, of, of 9-11 uh, that took place at, uh, at First Unitarian Church on Shaker Boulevard. And all the major faith traditions were represented there as, along with some, some others like Sikh, Sikhs and uh, Sufis and Native American Indians and uh, musical interlude. We were able to get a pianist from uh, CIM, Cleveland Institute of Music. Beautiful program. And that was put on by the Buddhists. <laughs> so one of my... Uh, very fond memories from those few years when we did have a, a local chapter here. So in whatever way you're able to, just carry carry those thoughts today about
1: the, the, uh,
0: the twisted karma of of those events from 20 years ago and how they are still with us today and and still providing Dharma gates for us to to awaken in and to practice with, carry our practice to. So I'm going to bow out and plug in the microphone speaker.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, I heard this is just for the discussion. Yeah, yeah we're not. Was working anyway, I was thinking about 20 years in the past and how it really changed what we were doing. violence and hatred, your violence and hatred. Not that blood, after anything, not that, that's pretty much the way it was, at least. Some would say it's actual knowledge. It is. Yeah, it's a
0: bunch of weapons, almost the one thing. Right?
1: Yeah, so it's a lot worse for those who have yeah. Yeah. to be Yeah, because are considered All right, good to see you guys. So <laughs> <Not
0: good here. laughs> I came here, I was
1: chatting one day, and I'm going to go <laughs> Sounds good. I was thinking about that for that entire talk. So I like I like the
0: uh the alternative equal uh, that's coming up a lot for me lately. I like the Keeps, I keep thinking of. It. I thought of while you were talking, the uh, Dershawn was carrying his commentary the Diamond Sutra on his back his expertise. Uh, I don't know I've thought about that a lot lately. I've been reading a lot of the Dharma. This morning, Dharma talks. and always thinking that. Your conceptual understanding of it won't get you so far. And, uh, and the pride you can place in your, uh, in your, in your, in your what you think your understanding is, when, right. when it's all about just being very simple and doing the next great thing, and being present in what's happening versus the whole intellectual side. And, yeah. and not even taking crime, <laughs> but even yourself thinking, I've, you've got to figure it out. There's, a lot. I think almost as soon as you try to explain it or conceptualize it,
1: you've overcome
0: <laughs> <laughs> We put so much... Uh, emphasis on that
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and you know i i I could speak here as a participant in that because i i engage in that aspect of buddhism but it's about seeing that it's just one of the ways to express it there are people that uh that express it artistically Mm
1: -hmm.
0: there are just people that literally do express it just by washing their Mm bowls and and chopping wood and carrying water, that there are all these myriad ways of expressing it, and they're all of equal value. We tend to, you know, elevate some over others, and that's where the problem is. There's there's not, it's not to denigrate, you know, it, the intellectual piece, which then can also get sucked into that trap. It's just one aspect of it but there are all these others. Mm-hmm. And if we elevate one over another, we're missing out on the actual richness that's there. There yeah. are so many ways to express
1: it. <clears throat> uh, Another thing that came to my
0: mind was this week, I spent over eight hours on airplanes. You know, where I used to fly 110 flights a year, but on only phone, six times in the last two years. So i kind of gotten out of it I don't know, the numbness to it. So I really am present with being in that plane now more than I was after ten years of doing it, you know, every week. And it was just a, I found it to be a good practice opportunity just being present on that plane. I mean if you're forced to sit there. And I, I can barely move anyway.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I just did all the uh, very good, Dharma for me was all the hours spent on huh? mm-hmm. the play. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> anything else?
2: Uh, I just, I just. Oh, never mind. No, 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 no.
3: Go ahead.
2: Oh, I, I just, I just wanted to share. Um, I came across Nagarjuna's uh, term that he talks about as itness, you know, and he's talking about being present with no conceptions and. The big thing is with no self, <laughs> and, and that's really, you know, I keep having to remind myself of that, you know, in my practice, and my daily life, of not having that self there that really gets in the way, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, just to kind of put out a little teaser for next Friday mm-hmm. uh, during this session, there's uh, a book by uh, my favorite neuroscientist uh, uh, Antonio Damasio, who the title of this book is "Self Comes to Mind," and he talks about what is mind from from that standpoint, and you know what is self. And self is not uh, an object. That's kind of universally held. Now. <laughs> Looking for this soul substance, this sense of self, uh, you're not going to find it. It's it's a it's a process. It's a mental process that causes a a sense of self to come up, which we all have. So I mean, there is this this little self that. We transcend, as Cynthia is saying, by the recognition of big self, which is kind of what, you know, in a scientific vein, this is what Damasio is talking about, is you know, our mind is just uh, a mapping device to the universal, to, to reality. Our body is part of that, all the objects around us, and out of all that mapping and processing a sense of self. But it's a fabrication. You know, we're, we're putting that together as a map. It's not a, a metaphysical reality. So to, to recognize that, to see self as it is, as opposed to this thing I am, because we're not selves. We just, uh, because of the way we've evolved to be able to interact in the world, we have a sense of self, which sometimes serves us well and sometimes not so well. You know, it's like most things. So our practice helps us to be able to work with that. Again, as Cynthia's saying. Uh, So when we realize no self, we're seeing it as it really is. It's kind of like saying, no eyes, ears, nose. Well, of course, Zen masters will grab your nose and (laughs) give it a good yank. Uh, Yeah, and and a Zen master can, can prod into a sense of self too, but to see it's empty that our nose, all, all of our aggregates, all of our senses, it's all empty. There is no fixed entity. The metaphysics, yeah. That's why I always want to pick a fight with the new agers who have this thing about metaphysics. It's like, didn't you guys get the word? That's <laughs> that's over. Yeah, you know, we're past that. There is no metaphysics. <laughs> And it becomes a problem, you create these things that then become these substantial things that people grab
1: onto. There's nothing to hold on to, there's no self to hold on to. So we'll kind of take a dive into that because that's important
0: is in, in the context of the opening of Hopefield's album. Now you have it. Yeah. So who's this you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Don Sean's talking about it. And we're gonna
1: you know, work with that. We're gonna have some fun with that. Mm-hmm. Take care, Jeff. Yeah, as soon as I saw that. Title when it was published some years back,
0: "Self Comes to Mind" by Damasio. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Whoa! Can we use that no self to get out of doing dishes? To get out of doing what? I said, can we use the uh, can we use that no self to get out of doing the dishes? Oh, <laughs> well, we can come up with lots of excuses. To
0: get out of that. <laughs> if that one works for you, you know, <laughs> we, we can, we can use it as a practice in equanimity. Clean dishes, dirty dishes, I'm okay. Because
3: <laughs> I'm a Zen
1: practitioner. <laughs>
3: I I do have a um, a question about um, what your what would you say, incorporating other practices within practice like I consider my primary practice to be Zen Soto Zen specifically, Um, but you mentioned Nemp. Nembutsu practice and part of the Pure Land. So um, I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, about you know incorporating that brief chant for five minutes a day. I, I'm always curious about other, uh, you know, other practices, and and at the same time I think, oh well, that but 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 that's Pure Land and. You know, I gotta stick with <laughs> that pure land.
0: That kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> so,
3: if
0: and you I, want to chant, refer to Devin on this because Devin uh, has practiced with the uh, the temple and he's way, way more versed in that than I am. Mm. <laughs> well,
2: uh, put me on the spot, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> Wait well, back. I mean, our practice at the, at the Buddhist temple was a hybrid, you know, Zen, Shin, Sangha. So, you know, we, we did practice both, you know, both forms to a certain extent. We did chant uh, Namo Midabutsu. Um We had a different set of chants than, you know, the Soto Zen book. Um, but it, I found it very interesting in the sense of, of chanting... The Amitabha Buddha you know as as sort of the embodiment of the faith mind you know of, of you know you're not striving towards enlightenment you, all you have to do is chant you know so reverend ron always said it's you know it's it's taking the elevator up the mountain instead of climbing the whole way but you're there because you're you're already there you know so so it's chanting a name you know that that sort of brings that you know wisdom and compassion to the moment you know, brings you in, into that. I think so. You know, I think I think it fits together. You know, beautifully. Um, you know, they're both they're both practices and they're both valid practices. You know, chanting meditation is is really what it is. It's, it's all that's the crux. Chanting meditation and you know, a brief sitting meditation that lasts about one minute, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. You know, so it, I think it can be. You know. It can be incorporated. And I, I think it, you know, again, it's how you approach it, you know, in your own mind and your own practice.
0: Yeah, thanks, Devin.
3: Thank you. Uh, so um, for, for somebody who is maybe struggling with s- sitting Zazen, would that be some? sort of uh, would that be um, maybe a recommendation that you know something like uh, ch- chanting whether it's nama I'm sorry I, ch- I I don't know how to say it Um and you know like incorporating that into your zazen like if you're if you're struggling to sit for 25 or 30 minutes, you know, like maybe compromise and do 15 minutes of Zazen and then a a 10 minute chant. Sure. I
1: don't
3: know.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is no like ideal practice that this is what it needs to be. Everybody in their various ways, I mean, we come together here and we practice together. It's one way of experiencing harmonious practice. But we also, the major component for our practice, since we're not monks living in the same temple, uh, for most of us, it's it's our own private practice, our whole practice. And that's all over the place. Mm. So, I mean, Truly, uh, we're all kind of making, making that up in, in, in certain sense, in terms of creating our own practice. So, I mean, here, because this is a Soto Zen practice, uh, that's, those are the forms that we practice here, but there's absolutely no reason why uh, everybody because we will, even if we think we're still within the Soto Zen uh, tradition, <clears throat> we're gonna yeah, do, our, do our own thing in terms of, uh, of what we incorporate into our home practice. And my own practice has evolved over time. It's kind of simplified. In the beginning, I thought I wanted to recreate everything. I was chanting every morning. I had a a tape of of the morning service at Zen Mountain Monastery. And I'd get up and I'd do my my sitting, and it would be a timed sitting. I just hit the play on the cassette tape. This has gone back a few years. (laughs) And the bell would ring at the end of the sitting, and they'd go into their morning service with the chant. And that's exactly what I wanted. For a while when I was doing yoga, I would do yoga first. And then I'd sit. And then I'd, I'd go into the morning service. And there was a time I, was, I would just uh, get on an exercise bike. I'd get my morning exercise in. I'd have all these you know, rituals that I'd build into it. And they change. So whatever you can pull into it, you know, make use of it. It's all practice. That's the important thing. Rituals become a problem. Forms of practice become a problem when we cling to them and grasp them. They're just tools. So what what you practice now isn't necessarily what you, you will practice in the future. It'll always kind of be with you, even if you're not practicing anymore. You been whatever you do practice will have a carry forward to it. But, but uh, practices change as individuals. And if I can speak the heresy, it changes over time for entire traditions. Okay. If it didn't, it wouldn't be alive. It's a dead practice
3: okay great thank you i i guess it's just like a, a reassurance I, I, for some reason i don't know why i feel like a, if i if i incorporate something into my zen practice that i'm some sort of a rebel or you know like uh not doing it right or don't tell dean <laughs> even even when, you know, I know you better than that, but I still, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's funny how the mind works, in, you know, to to kind of throw you off. Right. But I mean, it's that's- like I have two minds. One, one, one stop doing it all together. <laughs> and, the, you know, yeah. like this battle. And...
0: That's part of our uh, kind of conditioned response to religion in general. It tends to be seen as, as some exclusionary form of practice. It's like you have to choose a tradition and that's it. But Buddhism, as it's practiced in our time, has lost so much of that. I mean... Especially if you go out to a place like California, where you're now at, uh, where you have Buddhism practiced so broadly there. Uh, It's so easy to access major teachers from every tradition. So it's kind of a natural evolution out there that people are accessing all the traditions because it's so readily available. So you see that uh, at an advanced stage, I think, in California. But, I mean, Chuck Hutchcraft, he, he's done a lot of work in the Theravada tradition, Vipassana. I mean, he, he studied under uh, uh, Jack Kornfield and, and uh, Tara Brock to get his uh, mindfulness uh, training certificate. And he continues to practice uh, in the Vipassana tradition. There's a lot of overlap uh, between Zen and Vipassana. So to build these walls doesn't make a lot of sense. It really, it's violating our teachings about non-dualism. Yet we, we create all these divisions that really become important to us. That's why, for me, one of the most important parts of my practice over the, the span of my practice has been my involvement with the Interact Cleveland, doing interfaith work. That was huge for me. So that uh, that way I could take it even outside of Buddhism and to practice with Christians and Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs and on and on. And that was some of the richest uh, practice I, I was involved.
1: So I love that. So yeah, feel free. And you can even tell me
0: about it. I, I would invite you to. I, I enjoy hearing those kinds of stories. Didn't, uh, didn't Dogen even return back to his Shin roots for the end of his life or something.
1: Reincorporated really? chanting a little Yeah, really? yeah. I also used to, when I first when I used to sit and practice before
0: coming to Purvi River. I would chant, uh, or you know, I was studying Tibetan a little bit. And I was mm-hmm. I do a lot of chanting, just Om Mani Padme Hum, or just. Taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha over and over. Again. Yeah, Mali. and I found that very helpful. Yeah, uh, early on. sure. And I, yeah, I often think I'd like to bring some of that back, and I haven't you know, mm-hmm. since we're talking about it you know, this week. Yeah, chanting is very powerful. I mean, Pure Land's not the only tradition that's built around that. I mean, the the uh, most popular form of Buddhism in in this country, at least, is in and that's chanting.
1: No, they're not doing sitting meditation practice either. That what I promise. Was no, not. no, they were kind of
0: contemporary. Oh, so. he she so did study uh, something yeah. prior to Zen. She studied
1: Tendai. Tendai, ten yes. Yeah.
3: Hmm. All right, Mark. I was going to say, I I want to whirling... <laughs> But, but I, I promise when I uh, come back to Cleveland that I, I won't um, do that during our um, kin-hin. Yeah, that wouldn't <laughs> be very harmonious. <laughs> they <laughs> May our
1: intention
0: equally penetrate Every being man waits with the true merit of Buddha's ways. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. And and
1: now to TV. be coming. We'll give a plug, too, to Chuck Hutchcraft has a talk
0: at Chacoji two oh, weeks right. from tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, thanks. September 26th on Zoom, yeah uh, website. Yep. Okay, this these maps for Yeah, we need to.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. okay. <laughs> their group is next when it's up in here. I
1: understand All right.